Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at 76 through 79, but look at the whole story as it begins, the Christmas story. And uh, there are a lot of Christmas stories around, and the word for the Webster's uh, Dictionary for the coming year is authentic. And what is the authentic uh, Christmas story and what is not the authentic Christmas story? And what I want us to do is look at the authentic Christmas story because in your thoughts, authentic Christmas story is life-giving. And I appreciate all the entertainment, um, Jingle Bells, uh, Frosty the Snowman, and all those things. They're good to listen to, but they don't have life-changing power. And what I want this church to do while I'm here is to feel God's life-changing power in this Christmas season. And to come out of this season not just having another letdown and go back to the way things were, but to feel God's presence in the Christmas story as it's recorded by the biblical writers. And that's my sermon's going to be in the next couple of weeks is on the biblical story. And today we start with John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, because he was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Now, I just appreciate the choir that just did a great job. Claire, Claire's still recovering from surgery. You didn't have brain surgery, did you, Claire? But uh, she did very well. And, but I know for Joe Sexton, Joe and I played ball together and um, were abused by our coach a lot of times together. But um, his brother, Mike Sexton, passed away. At, and so our prayers are with that family because I thought the world of Mike. Mike was a coach to my son, and they had a good uh, coach-player relationship and just thought the world of Mike. And I know God's got a place for him and to come to receive him and to himself. I also want to share about uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And uh, so often as Baptists, we grow up and don't even know who Lottie Moon is. And and about her life, and just Lottie Moon was a missionary in China, just gave her life for uh, missions there in China. She was kind of a frail woman. She grew up in an aristocratic family in Virginia, but felt God's call to go to China, and she went there and just spent her life with, the, with those Chinese people. And so the Lottie Moon Christmas of it's a Christmas offering uh, every year taken by Southern Baptists for our farm mission program, and we have the best farm mission program going. And I talked to some missionaries who had just come back from China uh, recently, and they're wanting to go back. The pressure over there is tremendous, and they're under constant surveillance, uh, but they're sharing the gospel with the Chinese people over there, and uh, it's great to hear the heart of the missionaries. And our missionaries are there, and the idea is, is you go out down in the well and we'll hold the bucket. And um, Lighting Moon Christmas offering, every year the, the farm missionaries send what they really need to carry out their programs. And they're listed in priority of what, what they really need. And how much they collect overall in the convention for the Lighting Moon Christmas offering, that fills that kind of list. They fill that list according to what uh, is on that list. And there are no administrative charges. It all goes for missionaries. And so let me encourage you to do that and to give. And for Susan and I, it's been our Christmas gift to, in the Light of Moon Christmas offering because it has a personal place 
uh, for us. When, when I was 25 and Susan was 24, she, I married her before she could talk back, but she learned how quickly uh, wives do that every now and then. Uh, but uh, I was in Vietnam, and, and she was here in Selma with her parents while I was there in Vietnam. And we got an R&R in Bangkok. And Bangkok is a totally pagan, pagan nation. Um, Buddha is everything. Buddha is everywhere. And Christmas doesn't mean a thing to them. It's just another day. And so while we had a week together, a week to ten to get days together, and when you don't know if you'll ever see each other ever again, every moment was a precious moment. And uh, on Christmas Eve, we had a driver who would come and pick us up and take us to different places. But we had a driver, and we told him we would like to go to a Southern Baptist church on Christmas Eve. And in the middle of that place, he found a Southern Baptist church for us, and we went there. And the missionaries had come in from Chiang Mai and other places, and life was really hard. They didn't know whether they were going to make it. But on Christmas Eve, we gathered in a church that was paid for by the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And we sang hallelujah and all the Christmas songs uh, in a time far away from the United States in a place in the middle of a Buddhist country. And Susan and I will never, ever forget that. So Lottie Moon has always meant a special place for us. And, and um, just wanted to share that with you and I encourage you to give towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, if you have your Bibles, look at Luke. And uh, we're going to start with John the Baptist. Um, there's a lady named uh, Sheridan. I think that's her name, Sheridan Carpenter. Um, I don't have any of her CDs or anything like that, but she sings. And... Um, She's got a good voice, and she is a warm-up uh, person to sing by a lady who's popular throughout the world, and she brings her warm-up act to, uh, what's her name, the famous singer of all the eros and all that. I had a mind bog. Who is the most, oh, she's dating the football player. <laughs> T- tell me her name again. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. There it is. Now, she's not in the Bible, by the way. You won't find her anywhere <laughs> in the Bible. Uh, if any of you have ever had a brave freeze, would you kind of raise your hand, help me out here, help me carry this? So I, I'm among good company having a brain freeze. How could you forget Taylor Swift? But anyway, she's not in the Bible. No, we won't find her anywhere in the scripture here. But this lady named Carpenter comes on the stage, and he, she warms up the audience for Taylor Swift. And she gets them ready. And she's not the voice. Taylor Swift is the voice. John the Baptist came on the stage, and he made a resounding impact. But his famous saying was, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. But he began, the Christmas story begins with the story of John the Baptist um, being born to a couple who will pass the age of bearing children. And it reminds you of the story of Abraham and Sarah. 
And so if, if you have your Bibles, let's begin at verse 76. And would you stand in honor of God's word? That's there. Now, there are four infinitives from 76 to 79. If you're an English major, you just get excited about that. If you're not an English major, just let it go, okay? But there are four infinitives there. And I'll read from the New Living Translation, so it's a little bit different, but it carries the same message. It is Zacharias, who is an old rabbi, and he's singing his song. And the Christmas story is full of songs. There are four different songs on how you, if you count them. This is the Benedictus. The Benedictus, uh, Zacharias, begins by saying, blessed. And so it's called the Benedictus. But he's singing about his son. And in 76, and he says, oh, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will, and here's the first infinitive, prepare his ways of the Lord. And here's the second infinitive, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. You can't find it anywhere else. can't find forgiveness in Walmart. can't find it anywhere else. It's only in Jesus Christ. Verse 78, because of God's tender mercy, the morning star, that is the first star in the morning, from heaven is about to break upon us, the light that's coming. And here's the third infinitive, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And we all kind of sit in darkness and we all sit in the shadow of death. And here's the fourth infinitive, to guide us to the path of peace. Nowhere else to find peace but in Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. And as you're seated, if you have your Bibles, look back, because it's an amazing kind of story. Um, it begins in verse 5. It begins, it gives you a stable setting because it happened in place in history. I like to watch Ebenezer Scrooge, but it didn't happen in place in history. Um, I like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it didn't happen in place in history. It's a fictional story about a reindeer who recovered from being mistreated and he became the leading guide. And that's entertaining. And I'm not against that kind of entertainment. But I am against when it begins to take priority over the place that only deserves Jesus Christ to have. So let me caution you. There's a lot that do, does in it. And there's a lot that you will see and we will see. But in the end, all of this that happens is a buildup that eventually is going to have a letdown. But here's a buildup, the Christmas story, that can start something and charge your battery that goes way beyond the Christmas time and into the life and we go throughout the year. Verse 5 says that it was in days of Herod the king of Judea, and there was a priest of Abijar 
he was a priest and there were several courses of priests, about 24 courses. There were a lot of priests in, in, in Judea. And he was, his course that he was was Abadar. And we have a lot of preachers there, Baptist preachers, Methodist preachers, Episcopal preachers, whatever you call it. But there are a lot of courses of churches. They had courses of different priests. And he was married to what every uh, priest's father would like for his daughter to marry another priest. And he was married to a lady named Elizabeth. And whenever Luke writes, he always brings the contribution of women into the story. He's very impressed by what women did for Christ. And he will always bring the other side. So it's, it's a Zacharias Elizabeth story. And it says in verse 6 that they were both righteous and before God. And they, they carried out all the commandments of the Lord. And they were very religious in all that they did. But then there's this introduction in verse 7 of the problem. And the problem was they were old and past the age of having children. And they had no child. And I remember talking to a girl who was like 24 years old and and she was in the Baldwin County District and had made her way to the top of her company. And she came and joined our church, and I talked to her. I said, what is your greatest fear? And very successful in business, very intelligent, beautiful lady. And, and she said, my greatest fear is that I will never have children. That's my greatest fear. And for a Hebrew woman in that day and time, their greatest fear was not to be able to. It was almost like... God put a curse on them and wouldn't let them have children. And so they didn't have children. He was a priest in a hillside of Judea and running a synagogue there in the hillside. So he was a lesser priest. But he was in this little community, like there are a lot of little communities around us that have these churches and uh, country churches and have these pastors working there. And he was working there. But the the rumor around them is they must have done something because God didn't give them a child. And behind her back, and sometimes women can be so cruel, behind her back, the message was she's the barren one. And it had its sting, and she felt that sting. And each month there was this buildup. Maybe this is our turn. Maybe this, but... Then came the letdown and the buildup and the letdown and the buildup and the letdown. And after a while, it begins to weigh on you. And their praying continued and they continued. It's like God was absent and wasn't listening to their prayer. And disappointment began to set in and as it, disappointment began to set in, they began to guard their hearts, and its hearts got hardened over the time. They still went through their religious performance, and they still did all the things that the synagogue called them to do, but yet there was this hardness, and you kind of protect your heart in the middle of that situation. So it came to pass in verse 8, or it happened. That was one of my mama's favorite verses, it came to pass. But it happened, all this, they had priests all over Judea. It just so happened they would go for two weeks and they'd work in, the, in, the, um, they'd work in, in church and they'd go to Jerusalem and work there. 
and for two weeks, and then they'd go home back to their region. So it just happened while he was there, he was chosen to light the candle at the altar. It was a holy place. And this was not by accident. God was behind him. And so he goes in to light the candle, uh, verse 9. And there was an altar on the inside, inside. And there was an altar on the outside. So he's inside. And now he's inside. He lights the candle. And he is to give the prayer for the nation. But while he's there praying for the nation, lighting the candle, an angel appears. I don't know how you feel about angels, but they're mentioned 300 times in Scripture. They appear in the, in the Christmas story, and we see them appearing in so much in the resurrection and crucifixion story. But as he's there, verse 13, the angel says to him the most repeated command in the early Christmas story, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Because instead of your fear, I want to replace your fear with one of the greatest messages you have ever heard. And if you have your Bible, uh, verse 13, it says, Fear not, Zacharias, because your prayer has been heard. Now, I want you to know that because he had been praying and praying and had seen nothing. But give you a little... Greek idea that is your prayer has been heard is in the perfect tense like it was heard back then when you prayed it but God is looking for the best time for it to happen so he's going to answer that but he's going to do it on God's timing and so often God's timing is not mine and your timing but it's the right timing so while he was there he prayed not only for his nation and it seemed like God had abandoned the Jewish nation and they were overrun by the Romans. But it wasn't so much that God was not speaking. It was the fact that they were not listening. And so God's going to change that and begin it with John the Baptist. Verse 26, he keeps, well, uh, verse 17, and I will go before him in the power of the Spirit and you're going to have a son and this son is going to change this world. So Zechariah said, praise the Lord. Well, if you look, he did not say praise the Lord. He kind of responded like um, Ebenezer Scrooge, bah humbug. He had been hurt and disappointed so many times that he wanted a sign. So God says, okay, here's your sign, or Gabriel did. You won't be able to speak until a child is born. It's a silent treatment. Any of you ever used a silent treatment? <laughs> do women use the silent treatment more than men, or do men use the silent treatment. Uh, 
I picked up my little granddaughters one day after school, and she said, uh, we asked her, how'd your day go? And she said, it went fine, but my best friend won't speak to me. And I said, well, hit her in the head. <laughs> That's a man's response to a little girl's problem. So he had the solitude. Now, the silence also, it seems like God, whenever you have a silent treatment, something's wrong with the relationship. And it needs to be repaired. And what's deep inside of his heart, he is not trusting because he's been disappointed so many times that he didn't trust anybody. So God says, you, or Gabriel says, you will not be able to speak. So he goes back to his home. He leaves the temple and goes back to his home. When he goes back to his home, he, he could not speak. He tried after he came out having that experience with God and didn't say anything. He couldn't say anything. He tried to make motions to the people, but it just didn't happen. And I often fear that sometimes we have our experience with God and we come out to a our kids or grandkids or those who need to hear about our experience of God and we have this silence that we don't tell them about what God has done in our lives and how Jesus Christ has just changed us on the inside with this experience that we've had with him and we fail to tell people what God has done in our lives and there's this silence I Heard about a priest who skipped church and go go play golf, and when he played golf, he hit a hole in one. But he could not come back and share that hole in one. Silence. Tell me about Jesus and their silence. So he goes home and he can't speak, but somehow he had communicated for with Elizabeth because she conceived and had a child. And nine months later, they had the dedication. And during that time, he wasn't able to speak. And in the dedication, the community gathered, and this was a great event for a lady past her age of bearing children and a, and a priest past his age of giving her children. It, it was a social event and the circumcision to the child. And the angel Gabriel had said his name is to be John. And so they gathered together and said, surely this will be Zacharias Jr. That's what everybody thought. But God doesn't always work according to custom. And so as they, they brought him a um, board and he wrote on the board, his name is John. And when he wrote, his name is John, all of a sudden, his tongue was loosed, and he sang one of the Christmas songs, the Benedictus. God did a great thing. And he's still in the process of doing great things. And John the Baptist will be a preacher like they'd never heard. He was the greatest prophet who ever lived. Jesus called him that. He was the last prophet in the Old Testament and the first preacher in the New Testament. 
And they'd come out to hear him in the wilderness, and he had this hard judgment, said the axe is at the, at the tree and it's ready to come down. And there's one coming who will put the axe to the tree, and he talked about judgment because sometimes we just really need to hear about it. Judgment is a real thing. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And there will be a time in Bethlehem when she will, Mary will give her son, give birth to her son, and they will call his name Jesus. But Christmas began with an old couple who passed the age of having children, and God does a wonderful thing. Christmas is that kind. Now, I wonder if there are places that maybe you have given up on God. And remember, maybe your prayer that you prayed for what to happen, something to happen, something to change. Maybe that prayer has been, seemed like it's just going up in the air somewhere and not landing where God has answered your prayer. Maybe God has answered that prayer. He's just waiting for the right time for that prayer to be answered and what to happen and put into place what God has as you pray that prayer. So as we begin the Christmas season, I, I want us to take it to a higher level and let it be everything it ought to be as the Bible speaks to you in your place and, and realize the, the miracle that God is doing in Jesus Christ in that birth. He's bringing the light into the darkness and that always comes from, from the creation story where there was the morning and the evening was light. We bring in the morning and God's doing a new creation and it's coming down to you and me. It begins with John the Baptist and his preaching. Now, if you have your hymnals, let me uh, turn to something I want us to share. If you have your hymnals, would you turn to hymn number uh, 187? And I just, I love this song. It has a solemnness to it about what Christmas is about. When I was at Auburn, I took American literature, and we, we read these poems by uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he was a Harvard professor in Boston. I think one of the fascinating places I've ever been is Boston. If they just learned how to talk, I mean, they parked a car somewhere and I did a wedding there in Boston and um, after, when I married the couple and I said, if you think this is a mighty fine couple, would you say amen? And they looked at me like I was some foreigner from out in space. And so I said, if you think this is a mighty fine couple, would you say amen? Finally, they said, amen. They didn't know what else to do. But they didn't know this mighty fine. What does that mean in Selmanese? You see, I was raised in Selma, and I never get rid of my Selma language, especially in Boston. But Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a professor at Harvard, and he had gone through really a hard time. His uh, first wife had passed away, and his second wife had also passed away. And she had burned to death. And she'd caught fire. He got close to a fire, and a dress caught on fire, and he tried to put it out. But uh, she passed away. I think burning is one of the um, one of the most painful ways 
And not only that, his son was involved in the war between the states and he had been wounded pretty badly. And so it was a tough time. And so he, as he came out on Christmas morning, a snowy kind of Christmas morning, he wrote this, this poem. The lines go like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And look at verse 3. He just pours his heart out. He's kind of like Zacharias. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let me tell you, it's okay to pour out your heart to God. It's okay to tell him what's not fair. You read the Psalms and you see the psalmist who is saying, God, why, why weren't you there for me? Why weren't you doing this for me? So he pours out his heart. Then he's in verse four, he said, then pale the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail and the right prevail. Now let's read that last line together. With peace on earth, good will to men. That's the Christmas story. And when the angels came, they sang about God's peace. It goes to hurting people. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life. Then Christmas story is just another story. But if you need, you haven't, today is a good time for you to do that. Maybe you've never joined a church and you need to join church. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized before you invited Christ into your life. Maybe there's a decision you need to make this Christmas season, let it begin as we sing this song and your chance to come down and make your decision for Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as I lead us in prayer? Father, I thank you for an amazing God and for his mercy and grace. I thank you for a God who doesn't always do things the way we think they ought to be done, but you do them your way. And your timing is always perfect. We look at this Christmas season about hope. There is no other place to find hope except in Jesus as our personal Savior. May that be our decision. May we be a family where that is shared with other generations. And other generations know about our walk with the Lord. May we not be silent when it comes to that point even in the places we live and visit and work and just give us that boldness that ought to be that you gave Zacharias when he obeyed your word. As we sing, may you move within our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.